woodworking in living rooms or kitchens was not unusual until recently when folks left the home for the factories. Yeah, yeah, well I've often wondered if, you know, if Joseph was basically working out of the, their one room <laughs> or if he did have a, a little shop space. Yeah, there, there's a, tons of great images through the ages of the workshop at Nazareth, you know, and of course it's all representative of whatever culture or time uh, that painting came from. So you have all sorts of inaccurate historical details, but they all point to a similar common denominator, which is Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are all there. And so Jesus would either be watching Joseph in a lot of these paintings, or he'd be playing often with building blocks, you know, offcuts from his woodworking project at the time. Um, so I think those artists through the centuries have kind of shown us what, what it probably was like, even if the historical details aren't right, I think the family details are. Um, this, this community of, of work and prayer and love. Yeah, still trying to realize it. <laughs> Welcome to Good and Decent, a podcast by Grotto Network. Season 2, Episode 2, Finding Home. Daniel Baker is a local woodworker here in South Bend, Indiana. Daniel's not your typical woodworker, though. He uses only hand tools for his work, like saws, axes, and planes. He doesn't use a single power tool or machine. I heard about Daniel's work through a friend, and once I saw his breathtaking work, I knew I had to do a story on him. I, I have noticed, and a lot of people have noticed, that there's been a an increase in interest in this sort of thing, um, stuff that's well-made, but also not crazily priced. People wanna purchase it because it's just not that much of it out there and people are beginning to appreciate quality a bit more. They're tired of throwing away their furniture every five or 10 years, so I'd like to be the village carpenter who offers something different. And if I could just build relationships with a handful of folks here, that's all the business I think I'd need or desire. <laughs> I remember going over to Daniel's on the day of the shoot. As I walked up the steps to the front of his house, a sign read, 24-hour protection by St. Joseph. I walked into the house, greeted warmly by Daniel, his dog Barley, and his wife and baby. Handmade wooden furniture decorated the house sparsely, and tucked away in what used to be a spare bedroom was Daniel's workshop. The clean scent of wood filled the air with wood shavings covering the ground, all of his tools strung on the walls like what you'd see at an old antique shop. It helps with simplicity of life, um, kind of just a, a tightly knit local community working close to home. In Jesus' time, it wouldn't have been unusual. In, in fact, up to very recently, it wouldn't have been unusual for folks to work out of their homes. Uh, woodworking in living rooms or kitchens was not unusual uh, for a lot of cultures and um, a lot of times until recently. 
when folks left the home for the factories. So I'd like to recapture some of that. And so I just want a job that allows me to keep family at the center of everything while also putting my gifts and talents to work for little Eve. At one point, Daniel took me into his backyard and we walked into an area next to his garage full of scrap wood and tree logs. Daniel picked a log from a pretty good sized tree and within five minutes, he had it split open and started telling me what he could make out of it. Right here, I could probably get chair legs, nice walnut chair legs out of this section. This might be the crest or the headrest of a, of a chair. So that's what that could be for potentially. This is beautiful quarter, well, this is quarter split, but they call it quarter sawn oak. These beautiful stripes in it. Um, so that's what a lot of high quality furniture is made with. And I just got it out of that log in the backyard that would have been mulch. Daniel finished putting the final touch on a bench and told me he was ready to deliver it. So yeah, this is actually for my friends and neighbors who, with whom I lived uh, for a while. They're just catty corner to us here. And so this will be just, I'll walk this down the alley and drop off the two benches. And then when I finish the table, I'll bring that over to them as well. He picked up the bench and I followed him as he carried it outside and down the block. He approached the house and knocked on the door. Hey. I'm here with the bench and the film crew. Thanks so much. Uh, we're yeah. so excited. So we, we might be hosting Thanksgiving this year. Oh, great. So we're especially excited. I'm really glad it'll be able to get used for that. And a woodworker, uh, you know, they're there from the cradle to the, the coffin. Um, so you, you walk beside people um, if you're their village carpenter, you know. You're, you're there often for a lot of the, even if only through your furniture, a lot of the milestones of their life. I think making something for someone is more than a financial transaction. It really helps to build a relationship of trust and mutual dependence and responsibility towards one another. I know who this is going to, and I know that I'm gonna be responsible for <laughs> If it breaks, because I might be the one sitting on it while it breaks, um, it's part of being a good neighbor to make this well. And it, it helps, keeps me honest uh, by making it for folks who, whom I know. Sounds like you can hear the like effort and labor oh, that yeah. it takes to, to do this stuff that yeah. is probably mostly made by machines everywhere yeah. else. When I saw this for the first time, when he delivered the piece, it was really interesting. It was just beautiful to see like the trans like the progress, you know, of the of the piece. So Yeah. And his just pride of it's not even ownership, pride in workmanship. Mm-hmm. Like mm -hmm. when he said, you know, most of our furniture lasts 
five to ten years. I mean, yeah. I've moved seven times in the last ten years, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, there's always furniture that gets just right. does broken after mm-hmm. a few years. It just gets tossed, or yeah. like you said, you know, this could end up just being mulch. I mean, he was talking right. about the wood in his backyard, but yeah, yeah, I think about how much of you know the things that I own feel more disposable than they should. And here he's trying to make something that is lasting. Yeah. That is a a lifelong piece. I think it's beautiful to have stuff like that. You know, um, we're, we're still trying to figure that out in my, in our household, just trying to have lasting stuff, not just things that we buy off of Facebook marketplace, but where do we start and what's worth investing in and not, you know? So, so Adrian went, you have, you moved to town recently and yeah. started a new job and kind of a cross-country move. Yeah, from Florida yeah. to Indiana, it's been yeah. a bit of a difference. Especially <laughs> especially yesterday when you woke up, it was 11, de- the wind chill was mm-hmm. 11 degrees, I think, so I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that was a little different. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen 11 on a fair, on like on my weather app. I know, I know. <laughs> Wait ever. till it gets single digits, it's going to scare you. Oh, yeah, well, that was it was really close yesterday. Yeah. So. Um, so how has the process been of, of the move here and... Yeah. And getting settled, finding new furniture, but also I'm sure f- looking for lots of things in this yeah. new place. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a challenge to us. My wife and I got married just before we moved here. We got married in April, moved over here in May, and it's been a transition. And we found out just before we moved, like days before that she was pregnant. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, oh, man. So it's like, don't lift anything heavy. <laughs> we'll take care of it. And um then we had to do cross country road trip within a span of three days from Florida to Indiana with my pregnant wife, who was just, we're still like reeling, like, oh man, this is a lot to take totally. in. Totally. So many transitions compressed yeah. into one. So I started the job, I started the job remotely in Florida in end of February, early March. And then in April, knowing that in April 20, on April 23rd, we'd be getting married. And after that, we'd go on honeymoon and then in May move. Uh, May, like end of May is when we made the like transition, got a house, you know, we were able to find a house before then. Thank, thanks be to God. And, um, but just before the move, like three days before the move is when we found out Sarah was pregnant. Wow. So it was a lot. It was kind of, um, <laughs> just felt like life was being thrown at you. You know, yeah, because yeah, it was, you know, the plan to move, finding out you're now going to have a baby and right. then actually having to execute right, right, the move. And when right. did you actually get your feet planted in South Bend? When was that? That was that was end of May, okay. like 20, like the 23rd, like yeah. a month, uh, literally a month, a month after, after we marriage. got. Yeah. Wow. So it was and, you know, all this time prior to the marriage, we we're prepping for the wedding. And so yeah. like. Juggling a new job, prepping for the wedding, that's another thing that was just a layer. So now it was then the move and the job, and then now it's pregnancy. And, you know, right. So it's been a lot, you know, not that not that um, it's been hard to handle, but it's just like um, too hard to handle. But it's been so- somewhat of a transition for us to kind of learn how to yeah. be husband and wife while also pre- preparing to be mom and dad right oh my gosh yeah and you're settling into this new home how do you like it yeah well it's it's great we we got a really great deal on this home that's beautiful and it's old like in the night made in the 1920s so it's like about 100 years old now and we are renting it uh great homeowners that let us rent it for a pretty good price it's just um 
we haven't really settled in to make it, you know, it feels like home, but not really because, you know, I think our hearts are still, still kind of in Florida. Like right. all of our family's still down there. A lot of our friends are still down here. And we really haven't made a lot of new friends here yet either. So Yeah, and it's been hard. The conditions have been hard for people. I mean, everyone's yeah. still feeling out, you know, right. socializing and right. and whatnot. And I do kind of feel like as a, you know, adult, I feel like young, I don't even know if we can classify ourselves as young adults <laughs> right. anymore. I'll cling to that title. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, as a young adult, as a, as a, a person who maybe is recently married or, you know, still in the first, I don't know, 10-ish years out of school, mm-hmm. like, w- how do you find people? I mean, friends are yeah. always just this built-in thing. And right. I think we talk about that a lot here at Grotto. It's like, yeah. how do you find community? And I think, um, yeah. you know, it, our story here of, of Daniel Baker, like it sounds like a, a big part of his, you know, desire to be a, a woodworker mm-hmm. and to work, you know, the kind of original work from home, <laughs> just yeah, bringing yeah. us back yeah, to yeah. working from home. <laughs> the OG, um, yeah. yeah, but that he's trying to do that to like be connected to his community. Yeah, And I think a lot of us, it's like hopefully we find some people we like through work, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it's not easy to right. just start from scratch and right. hopefully build a community like something that he has. Absolutely, I mean, I was lucky enough to to be blessed with like when I moved to college, I got a really good friend group and you know like ton of great friends from there. And then when I moved to my job, uh, my first job in South Florida, I uh, know Central Florida. I, I was plugged in into this, like invited into this community that became like my best friends. Mm. So like that was my like standard, like I would move and I'll find a good community. But that wasn't the case for here. So like, yeah. I mean, again, different circumstances. Mm. I'm married now, so I'm not going to like the sh- social events like I used to. And my wife had a really rough pregnancy in the beginning, so we couldn't go anywhere as much i mean we went to a couple of small groups and bible studies but didn't really pan out to to gain too much community from there um so that's still it's 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 definitely a challenge you know like it's it's definitely a learning thing especially when you're just married you're like your friends kind of look different now you're not you know hanging out with too many single people you're now making friends with other parents or other married couples so Mm -hmm. how does that look like how do you find that it's it's yeah kind of challenging what do you, when you two talk about, when you and Sarah talk about what you want out of this chapter of your life, like what does home look like? What do you want out of a, out of a place to call home? I think for us right now, it's a, a mind, a matter of like building this home for our daughter, you know? And so everything that we've talked about, it's kind of comes to mind like, oh, we want to have a community of people who can be there for for me and our daughter, like if we are, if, you know, God forbid something happens to us, there is going to be someone here in the state, mm-hmm. the city that can step in and help, you know, with our daughter, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, obviously <laughs> we don't want anything like that to happen, but that would be the goal. Um, and I would love to say, hey, I have a great, we have a great team here at Grotto, so I know I'll have support there um, in, any, in any case, but you know, when you get, when you're pre- preparing this home for your, for your, my, our kid, it's just like, we want to make sure that though this may not feel like home for us, this is like the home for her. Like, right. This it's the only home she'll know at right. least at first. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of special. Yeah. You're like really preparing the environment for, for someone to have their first 
experience of everything right in the world yeah right and she'll get to have new experiences that we didn't have as a, as a child and you know she'll see snow much earlier than when <laughs> yeah. me and my wife saw it snow. won't even be surprising right <laughs> it won't even be like that magical feeling you know whatever mm-hmm. so it's when we when we prep and when we talk about this you know we just want to whatever it is whatever it looks like we just wanted to to benefit our daughter um at the long run yeah was that what does it entail? Um, I think right now the the main thing is like that this is a sturdy home for her, a safe home for her to be in. But also, um, you know, we have that community that she can have friends that are all you know our our friends have children that she can play with and you know have friends in uh, before she goes to school. You know, obviously those formative years are great to have those friendships built in. Um, so. Yeah, those are the two, I think, main things that we want to find yeah. and we're trying to strive for. But yeah, and it takes time. It, totally. It's like our natural, you know, deep desire for human connection. We want that in the place we call home, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this the image of, you know, this guy bringing over his wood bench to his neighbor yeah. so that she can host Thanksgiving. I mean, there's yeah. so much like this web of connectedness yeah. um, that is facilitated by like a tangible thing, like a bench yeah, right. that someone um, has made. And not just that someone picks up at Ikea. No shame to Ikea. Yeah, right. I'll probably be shopping there soon. But um, <laughs> yeah, that there, there's something like this came from the hands of the community, passed on to someone else, and right. then, you know, facilitates even more right. hospitality and, and generosity and connectedness. I think things like that is what kind of builds community into somewhat of a family, you mm-hmm. know? Like you have these family heirlooms that get passed down here and there and that doesn't, I don't know, like when you have something like, you know, bench that might get passed down when you, when somebody moves, like, um, I think that kind of builds that even more into, you know, a resemblance of a family and Mm. a family heirloom of sorts. So it's really cool. So he, he said something like, you know, my work is really cradle to coffin accompanying people Um, and when i first heard that i'm like i had to think what what does he mean and i realized oh he's talking about he could literally build someone a cradle mm -hmm. and build someone a coffin Mm. you think that's what he meant i mean there's this sense that like we need it's funny i never even think of like needing furniture yeah for you think you actually need a piece of furniture for a baby yeah and you do like often are laid to rest in a piece of furniture. You don't yeah, really think about right, that, right, right. but um, it's a little, little morbid. But I, you know, but there's a beautiful <laughs> right, like true. life cycle. I think what he was describing is that you can. He said you can stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side. Yeah. With someone, with with anyone, as they journey from welcoming their first child to maybe saying goodbye to their first parent or something who, yeah. who has passed. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think like. That is really what I long for in home is people mm-hmm. who are going to be there side yeah. by side through the most joyous of times, like you guys getting ready to welcome your daughter into the world. And mm-hmm. and then the most, um, the times where I'm grieving the most. Yeah. Uh, and then everything in between, you know, all the, yeah. all the little ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I think is irreplaceable in any place, yeah. uh, any, like, whether it be family or community, just people in your life. If you, if you have that, I think, I mean, not to be corny, but that's all you really need. Mm-hmm. I know you're talking about um, being recently married and how your community, your 
community is changing. And um, I'm not married. And so I actually had a group of girlfriends uh, last year. We Mm -hmm. decided to start a little kind of women's group where we'd have dinner. We'd have dinner together and and talk. And I might have shared about this on on the pod already. But something we said when we got together, three of us got together um, over happy hour to brainstorm this, what we would do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we just felt this desire to, like, be together in um, in a kind of uh, deep, connected way like family is because mm-hmm. none of us have family in town, in this state. Um, right. And so it was really important to us to be like, we're not just these, like, single, isolated people, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we all live alone, too. And that's kind yeah. of unique, I think. I, th- I still think a lot of people, you know, some of my friends still have roommates. Some of us live alone. Um, but the three of us who sat down, we all lived alone. And we were like, we, we really desire this intentional period of of connecting um, mm-hmm. with people who are in our state of life, mm-hmm. um, who have sure. similar concerns, similar desires, and then yeah. a longing just for connection. So yeah. we, and something we said is like, Just because you're single doesn't mean you don't belong to anyone. Mm. And um, Mm. I that just was very important to us to to say, you know, we don't Mm. have a specific family in the sense of a of a a spouse or a partner or children, but we can belong to each other and we Mm -hmm. can be that for each other. That if something were to happen, you know, I've called these girls and said, like, I'm not gonna make it home in time to let my dog out. You have the spare key. Will you run over? Mm -hmm. You know, and Mm -hmm. um or, you know, just someone will put a calendar invite on my on my calendar and say, Can you take me to the airport? (laughs) You know, and it's like those things, those spaces where family naturally jumps in, Mm -hmm. we have tried to be there for each other. And it's just totally transformed the way. And I was new to to town just over a year ago, a year and a half ago, totally transformed the way that I view this as home. Yeah. And this place has now become somewhere I think of as the most home at home I've ever felt. I think because of those, those women and the way we belonged, we intentionally wanted to belong to each other. Uh, I think like what you shared about your, your friends, you know, finding that community amongst your girlfriends and stuff. um, That's, I mean, we know what it takes to find that community it's just a matter of like really executing it and having, I guess, the courage to go out there and invite people to your home and mm-hmm. and say, hey, we're going to host a game night and we'd love for you to come. And just doing the extra going the extra mile, I think, is really beneficial to find your community. Mm-hmm. Um, we know what it takes to get to that point, but sometimes we can be, you know, so overwhelmed by just the transition that we don't make it. Like my wife and I know what it. Like, we just have to invite people over, have some, like, community there, have some dinner together, you know, with people, and it will naturally happen. But Yeah, there's a total snowball effect. Like, right. if two people are really invested in, you know, showing up for each other and they invite a third person in, it snowballs and it, right. it can grow. And, yeah. Um, my takeaway is something, actually, my friend Megan recently said to me, which was um, – become what you want to attract. Mm. And I don't think she originated that, but we can give her credit. Um, (laughs) But she actually said it in dating, but I think it's also good for friend dating. Like, you know, if you want to be the kind of person who has, you know, for her, it was like, I want to be the kind of person who is well-read. So she's devoting a lot of time to reading. She's now joined a book club. Well, there, that's built Mm -hmm. in you know, community and friendship. Um, she also has hobbies, like she goes to a ceramics studio. And, oh, cool. you know, she's building this kind of life that she really, really wants. Mm-hmm. And I think naturally people who are attracted to either having those similar interests or to that kind of lifestyle yeah. will be drawn to that. 
Um, And I think, you know, you see that with with Daniel Baker, too. Like, um, he wants to be the kind of person that and he is attracting similar people. You know, it it seems like his community is has a similar kind of life philosophy as him. But yeah, yeah, become what you want to attract. And I think like what you said, the snowball yeah, effect. The snowball effect. And uh, just being bring people in. Being patient with it, right? I think that I think the most important part is that it's not gonna be built overnight. Mm-mm. Like I said in the beginning uh, earlier, I had this idea that it would happen immediately, like, but it's, it's just not the case. Yep. It's not gonna happen that way always. You're gonna get lucky sometimes and that's gonna be a blessing. That's really cool. But having patience and, and just growing your community, it's like was a quote Rome wasn't built in the day you know like just kind of let that let it happen and it'll, it'll happen yeah it'll happen eventually that's what me and my wife just keep saying it'll happen eventually. <laughs> yes and baby's coming in January yeah baby's coming in January <laughs> <laughs> it'll happen eventually yeah yeah awesome hey there Grotto senior producer Josh Long here, and we at Grotto know that finding home can look a lot different depending on who you ask. Alan Graham, for instance, created the Community First Village to help individuals experiencing homelessness. It's a large plot of land in the heart of Texas with A-frames as far as the eye can see. In 2018, Grotto freelancer Chrissy Estrada highlighted this community in a grotto story called Tiny House Community Shelters Homeless. This is that story. This guy drives up in the white truck and he tells me, he says, hey guy, I got a house for you. And I looked at him and I go, yeah, you full of shit too, bro. You know, and I walked off. So two years later, here this guy comes and he's handing a bag of food out of his car. Hey, you want some food? Of course I want some. I still got a house for you, he tells me. In the outskirts of Austin, Texas, you'll find a whole community built up of tiny houses. This tiny town has an outdoor movie theater, an art studio, an organic garden, and even a tiny chapel. But it's not a haven for hipsters. It's a refuge for the chronically homeless. You're standing right now on what we consider a new movement here in the United States called Community First. And you're on the Community First Village, a 27-acre master plan community designed to lift up off the streets of Austin, Texas, the most despised, uh, outcast, the most lost and abandoned uh, people that live in our city, the chronically homeless. In 1998, after answering God's call to serve, Alan and his friends began delivering meals out of the back of a minivan to men and women living on the streets. Years later, the ministry sparked a new vision, a community like no other. We believe very profoundly 
that the single greatest cause to homelessness is a profound, catastrophic loss of family. And if there's been some type of a nuclear bomb thrown into the middle of that family unit, I think it's up to the village or the community to step in. Alan's outreach takes him to the very front lines of the battle against homelessness. For some that he serves, the offering of a home is simply unimaginable. If God can take a wretch like me, imagine what he can do with the world. This is heaven, man, I'm home. This episode was produced by Josh Long and Ben Cruz. It was hosted by Sarah Toms and Adrian Gralde. Drew Malcolm and Tara Kelly were contributing editors. Grotto Network is Director Javi Zubi Zaretta, Senior Editor Josh Nome, Senior Producer Josh Long, Assignment Desk and Event Program Manager. Liz Colloran, Web Content Analyst, Michaela Douglas, Art Director, Becky Rogers, Associate Producer, Ben Cruz, hey, that's me, Social Media Manager, Adrian Garalde, Tara Kelly and Nick Guinea are our treasured interns. There's news that you have a new job and are going to be moving. Who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so sad. I'm hearing you. So, I'm hearing you talk about like how it's t- taking you a while to get settled. And I'm yeah. thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do that again. <laughs> yeah. Josh Long's holding up a sign. He's holding up <laughs> He's holding up this like tiny notepad that just says, Will you stay on the pod? <laughs> Is this like a proposal? Are you guys like are you guys saying like please stay on the pod? This feels like an intervention. I'm sitting around with everyone.